0: The following audio is from the Grove Church. To find out more about our church or to check out previous messages, go to our website at grove.church. Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to our series, Enemy at Work. Today is part four, and we're going to land in James chapter four in your Bibles. But before we jump in, um, I just want to encourage you to pray for our team. We've had to make a pretty major pivot in the last couple of days because we had a couple of team members test positive for COVID, and we're just trying to be super cautious about it, take it very seriously as far as with our team as well as our church body. So we're not doing in person right now, but I appreciate you joining us online. Um, Like I said, we're going to be in James chapter one, and you can turn there and we'll get to that here soon enough. Um, I don't know if you remember, but a few years ago, and I think they still play now, um, there were Snickers commercials on TV that were, the, the idea was you're not you when you're hungry. And I remember one of them was Betty White like playing flag football and She's like bellyaching, slow moving, and people are complaining at her, and she's complaining back to them. And then somebody's like, here, have a Snickers. And they grab the Snickers bar and eat it, and they turn into the person they actually are, not Betty White. There was another one they did with Roseanne Barr, um, same kind of idea. Um, But it's true, when you and I are hungry, we're not ourselves. The same is true when we're tired. I remember Heather and I, years and years and years ago, we were actually in the youth ministry here at the Grove years ago, and um, we were on a missions trip. We were actually driving down to Mexico. So we were going from I-5 all the way from up here uh, down you know, through Oregon, through California, and eventually into Mexico, and we drive overnight. And of course, when you're sitting on um, a bus, it was like a charter bus, I had a really hard time sleeping. And so I was kind of irritable and, and just not acting like my normal self. And I remember at one point, Heather, even asking me like, who are you? Because the truth is when we're tired, when we're hungry, when we're fatigued, we're absolutely not ourselves. We've all experienced these moments. And the thing is, oftentimes when we're in that state, we're so tired or we're so fatigued. The truth is we do things we wish we hadn't done. We end up in arguments with our spouses or with our friends or, or, you know, something goes on that we wish we hadn't responded a certain way because we live fatigued. And um, we've all reacted wrongly, and yet sometimes this idea of busyness is like a crown of victory. Somebody will say something like, man, I only slept four hours last night. And it's like, what are you supposed to say, like, congratulations? Because that's not healthy. Or other people that wear it, you know, as, as a badge when they say things like, man, I'm just so busy right now. And it almost feels like an aura of I'm so important rather than just busy. I mentioned years ago in a series um, the idea of busyness. Carl Jung said this, busyness is not of the devil, busyness is the devil. And I want you to think about that for a minute because when you and I hear the words lack of sleep or hear the words fatigued or weary or whatever word you wanna put in to kind of fill the gap there, there's all kinds of studies and statistics that we have. I'm just gonna read a few Right here, the average American sleeps under seven hours a night, and over 40% sleep less than six hours per night, and yet the average sleep needed by an an adult in America is typically eight plus hours, and there's hardly anybody getting eight or more hours of sleep. According to the National Institute for Health, um, two-thirds of high school students don't get enough sleep, and yet Sleep is vital for regulating emotion. Sleep is vital for repairing our body, including, here's a few things, rebuilding muscles, removing toxins from the brain, helping with memory, as well as sleep is vital for appetite control and healthy metabolism. Fatigue was instrumental in a negative way. Fatigue was instrumental in the causes of the 1989 Exxon Valdez oil disaster, oil spill up in Alaska. Fatigue was instrumental in what happened at Chernobyl back in 1986 in the giant nuclear meltdown. Annually, in the United States, annually, over 1,500 people die on U.S. highways because of fatigue. So you think about all that this does, and, and, and we know that there's a problem going on in our world. It's amazing how we drink coffee like we need an IV hooked up to our Nespresso machines. It makes me think of the person walking around the hospital with a little pole on wheels and they've got the IV bag and yet ours would be filled with coffee, you know, because some of us seem to need it that much. We're more busy and more stressed than any era in history and yet we're also more medicated, and, and excuse me, we're also more medicated and have more self help books and articles and podcasts than we've ever had. Think about that for a minute. We're tired and we're worn out and in a series called enemy at work it shouldn't be any surprise if you go back to the foundation of this series the battle that you and I face against spiritual darkness and that Jesus said in John 10:10 10, 10, the enemy has come to steal and kill and destroy What better way than you and I living worn out? What better way than you and I existing in a world of fatigue, in a world of stress, in a world where there's a lack of sleep that impacts every area of our lives? There is an enemy at work, and he loves the idea that you and I exist in a state of fatigue. The enemy gets us all bent up so we don't do what we want to do. And what we do, we hate. I've mentioned that about Romans chapter 7 and Romans chapter 8 for years, this idea that why is it that we're puzzled by what goes on? So how do we break through? How do we fight fatigue? What do we do? Yes, practically, well, we get more sleep. Great. But sometimes that's that's a real challenge. What, what do we do in our world in a spiritual sense? How do we overcome and find victory instead of living with, with a litany of, of you know, mess behind us in our wake of broken relationships, of bad decisions, of mountains of regret? What do we do to overcome? How do we defeat this enemy who is at work in our lives. Let me take you for a moment, we're going to get to James 1, but let me take you for a moment to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I've got a bunch I'm going to read here, but bear with me. It says this in 2 Corinthians 11 verse 21. Whatever anyone else dares boast about, I am speaking as a fool, I also dare boast about. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they Abraham's descendants? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? I'm out of my mind to talk like this. I am more. I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was pelted with stones. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a day and night in the open sea. Verse 26. I have been constantly on the move. I am in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from fellow Jews, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country. I have been uh, in danger from false believers. I've labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger. And thirst and gone without food. I have been cold and naked. Besides everything else, I face the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and do not I feel weak? Who's led into sin and I don't inwardly burn? And he goes on, verse 30 If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus, who is to be praised forever, knows that I am not lying. In Damascus, the governor under King Aretas had the city of uh, the Damascenes guarded in order to arrest me. But I was lowered in a basket from a window in the wall and slipped through his hands. Let me move to the next chapter, 2 Corinthians 12, verse 6. Even if I should choose to boast... I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth, but I refrain so no one will think of me um, more of me than is warranted by what I do or say, or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more about my weaknesses so that God's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I know I just read a lot of texts from 2 Corinthians 11 and 12. But the reason I read it all is because you look at all that Paul went through, all of the trials that he faced, all of the circumstances that seemed insurmountable, and yet he kept his head on straight. And there's a key reason, which now takes me to James chapter 1. As James opens, and he's a half-brother of Jesus, and he says, consider it pure joy whenever you face trials. It's a reminder of what Paul was doing. He looked at his trials and had joy in them because he trusted that God was at work. See, it's time for you and I, in the midst of a world where there's an enemy luring us away from the ways of God, luring us into divisiveness, luring us into addiction, luring us into this world of fatigue, there is an enemy that when we look at what we face, instead of thinking this is worthless and garbage and having an attitude of futility, James says... Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now, that's a big deal. You and I need to reframe what's going on. You and I need to reframe the temptations that we face. You and I need to reframe all that we feel when we're fatigued and our emotions are overwhelming us. We're about to live with angry outbursts. We're about to live binging on food, binging on alcohol, binging on TV shows, binging on pornography and an unhealthy sexual appetite, binging on things that we ought not dive headlong into. James says, Instead of falling prey to these things that are about to destroy you, and to, instead of falling prey to what the enemy would do to make you wave the flag and give up and run right into his corner, instead, by fighting the battle, we can look at it differently. We can have an attitude of victory. By God's help, you and I can overcome, consider it pure joy. Why? Why? He goes on to say, consider pure joy whenever you face trials of many kinds because... You know the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Paul, over and over in the New Testament, not just 2 Corinthians 11 and 12, but all over the New Testament, talks about the trials he went through, and yet he will say, the things I went through were for for the sake of the gospel. The things he went through were so that the gospel could be advanced. The things that he experienced were were so that others could see somebody standing boldly for their faith, and it caused the conversions of, in his day, thousands of people. If the apostles, Paul, and Peter, and John, and Thomas, and these other early church leaders, if they were willing to suffer and face these trials without giving up, without an attitude of futility, without this idea that this is all worthless and where is God, but instead... Realizing their faith was being tested, he goes on to say, because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Somebody once said the Christian way is a way of perseverance. The the Christian way is a way of suffering. The Christian way is a way of trial by fire. And yet, even as my wife and I were talking a bit about this message, it's amazing how in previous eras, you had people that lived in wartime. You have people that lived losing people all around them, maybe in a pandemic, or maybe they simply had four or five or six or eight kids because maybe a few of them would survive to adulthood. And nowadays, the battles we fight are, my show's not available on this you know, platform anymore. My neighbor is making loud noises. We're fighting battles against our own spouses because instead of the actual hard things of life that maybe we don't face in this era, we've got to make up reasons to get spun up. It's an enemy at work bringing division into your world. James says, because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work. What does that mean? James is saying it's not an instantaneous thing. You and I don't pray a simple prayer and all of a sudden we've arrived at maturity. You and I don't go through one one thing and it's it's difficult and we navigate through it and think we're done. Like I said, people in the past have said the Christian way is a way of suffering. The Christian way is a way of trial by fire. That will always be the case. So instead of you and I having an attitude of woe is me and where is God, what if you and I took it upon ourselves to look at it as this is a test of my faith that I'm going to pass. This is a test of my faith that I'm going to overcome by God's help. Because all of us would say, I want to be mature. I want to be complete, not lacking anything. But are we willing to be people of perseverance in the midst of confusion, in the midst of suffering In the midst of a divisive world, are we willing to lean in to our faith in the midst of all that we face? See, the enemy loves to get us twisted up because we're fatigued and worn out. Loves to get us fighting battles we shouldn't be fighting. Loves to keep us stuck in, in binging alcohol and, and, and navigating addiction to other things because it keeps us from being effective. Because when we do those things, we feel such a shame that instead of leaning into the cross and living in repentance, we lean away from the cross and walk away from our faith. God must not care or I must be too bad for him to welcome me, to love me. I've done too many things wrong. Then you don't really understand what grace is. It's not an excuse to do whatever we want to do. But it is available that when you and I fall, when you and I give in to things we shouldn't, with a heart of repentance, God, I'm sorry, and we mean it, that he does forgive us. What a beautiful picture of the gospel of grace that he's extended to us because of what Jesus did on the cross. That's where our hope and our life is found. Again, we all want to be mature and complete, not lacking anything, but it means we've got to be people of perseverance. See, as you fast forward in James Verse 12, or excuse excuse me, as you fast forward in James and and look at verse um, five, it says, if any of you lacks wisdom, ask. If you're confused, ask. If you're spun up and don't know what to do, ask God. It's amazing how when you look at that verse, he's literally saying, ask, it's that simple. Paul says it too. Remember, he says, I prayed to the Lord because I had this ailment and I prayed three times that it would be removed and, and the Lord answered but guess what? The Lord didn't answer by healing. The Lord didn't answer by taking away the thorn in his flesh. What does it say? Go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. It says in verse 8, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient to you for my power is made perfect in weakness. What happened there? Paul prayed. What did James say to do? Pray and ask. For you and I, when we're overwhelmed with fatigue and we feel the anger or we feel the weakness of temptation to give in and binge something, when we feel that that, that we're living in futility and just are ready to wave the white flag to the enemy, pray. Not because we feel like it. Real maturity is praying when we don't feel like it and maybe even more so when we don't feel like it. Pray. Is it that simple? Actually, yeah, it is. It goes back to some of the things we've said about Paul in Philippians 4. Don't be anxious, but pray. Bring those requests. Uh, He says in Colossians, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. Pray. Seek the Lord about whatever it is that you're going through. Going back to James, remember also that later on in that letter, he says, submit therefore to God and resist the devil. What better way to submit than confession and prayer? God, here I am, and I feel weak. Here I am, and I feel angry. Here I am, and I'm fatigued. Here I am, and here's what's going on emotionally. God, help. I submit myself to you before I cuss out my wife, before I go online and look at things, before I I, I open the cupboard and knock down the whole bottle, before I get high day after day after day, before I sleep 12 hours a day for weeks at a time because I'm just living in futility, before I do those things. Pray, God, help me. I believe that you and I have such an amazing, loving, passionate God about our lives that when we pray, it's amazing how the the windows of heaven open and his power is sufficient. His, His grace is there. His anointing does come down. You and I can be filled fresh with his power, but we've got to submit. We've got to cast our anxieties. We've got to lean in and pray about all those things that we face. At the end of the day, it's a simple phrase that I want you to remember. When we're out of energy, we must lean in to our faith. When we're out of energy, we must lean in to our faith. It's no different than, than, than cars that run on fuel and you gotta go to the, tank, you gotta go to the pump and, and, and load them up with gas. Otherwise, they're not going anywhere. The same is true for your life and my life when we're out of energy. We've got to go back to the source of our faith, the Lord Jesus, and invite his spirit to fill us fresh. That again, as you and I pray, it keeps us from making the mistakes the enemy is luring us into making. How many of us, as we're sitting here listening to this message, are going, man, I, I binge food. Man, when I'm stressed, I feel it oh, all. Man, I just go in the kitchen. I start finding stuff. Or I go out and buy a bunch of fast food. Or I go find the dessert place and I go nuts. Or you go to the liquor store or the cabinet in your house. Or you go to the computer and start, start getting into things you shouldn't get into because, well, at least it numbs you for a bit, even though you feel like garbage after all these things. Maybe it is that you, you binge a show. It's easy to, to lose yourself emotionally in, in a TV show rather than deal with real-world relationships. Maybe it's anger. And you can think back, like I said earlier, to the wake of relationships that are broken because you've lived thinking through your own lens of how you perceive what's going on in your lack of owning what you gotta own so that relationships can actually be restored instead of letting the anger and divisiveness keep all those relationships at bay. What is it for you today? How are you letting the enemy work because you live fatigued? How is it that you're, you're seeing relationships with your kids severed? Family members that you love dearly, but because of how you've acted in the midst of all that you have faced emotionally and the fatigue that you've navigated, that it's burned those relationships. God doesn't want that. It's the enemy at work that wants you to ignore the people that you love most. Don't give in to what he's doing. See it for what it is and bring it before God. God, Jesus, we need your help. Lord, I can't do this anymore. Father, I've burned the bridges. I've said the words. I've binged the addiction. I've done those things. God, would you forgive me? And Jesus, would you give me clear eyes? Would you give me a clean heart Would you help me navigate back into these relationships that need to be restored with humility? It's amazing how the enemy is defeated when you and I are willing to live humbly. You know, as I navigate towards the end of the message, let me take you to a couple other verses. I know I've been in a few places. Second Corinthians is where I'm gonna land for a second here again. But this is early on in the letter. And Paul writes these words in 2 Corinthians 4, verses eight and nine, and then skipping ahead a little bit to verses 16 through 18. We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. We are persecuted, but not abandoned. We are struck down, but not destroyed. Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, inwardly we're being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. What is Paul's answer to the troubles we face? So he says, we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, not on the things that we feel, not on the stuff that we see ourselves doing. He says, we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but what is unseen. What is he saying? We fix our eyes on Jesus. We fix our gaze upon eternity. He says, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen for what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Two more verses. You can write them down if you're taking notes. I always encourage you to do that. James 1:12, just after he said, consider it pure joy. What else does he say? Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. And finally, one of my favorite verses that I memorized years and years ago, Isaiah 40, 30, and 31. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in the Lord, again, prayer, leaning into our faith. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength they'll mount on wings as eagles, they'll run and not be weary, they'll walk and not be faint. Jesus, today, we live in a world that it's almost popular to lose sleep. It's almost a bragging thing to say, I'm too busy. It's almost this thing about being important because we're always fatigued because there's so much going on. But the truth is we're playing right into what the enemy wants that, that God, when we, we live fatigued and we live weary and we burn bridges and we have addictions, but we're just too busy, that God, we're playing into the enemy's hand again and again and again and again. And I pray today it would stop. I pray that as people are watching, people are sitting in the living rooms on couches and beds, wherever they're at, watching this right now, I pray through your Holy Spirit that these strongholds of the enemy would be broken, that we don't make excuses for fatigue, that we live a little more diligent about our schedules, about our times, about what we need to be doing, that God, We don't give in to the burning of bridges because we're angry in our fatigue, because we binge in our fatigue, because we wave the white flag to the enemy in our fatigue, and we just lay in bed all day and don't do anything purposeful because we don't feel like it. God, I pray for a breakthrough that, again, the enemy's uh, attempts to ruin our lives are broken, Father. I pray this, God. And I also pray not just that those things are broken for every person listening but that, God, you would open up the floodgates of heaven and pour out your Holy Spirit with a fresh power to persevere, with a fresh attitude of overcoming, with a fresh belief in who you are and a prayer life that becomes more and more vibrant, that we see your Spirit at work in our lives, that that's how we can overcome. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.